Connor's tea. How are ye? Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. We're breathing life back into Irish myths with traditional Irish storytelling accompanied by music. My name is Sarika and I'm one of the co-founders of Candlelit Tales. In this episode, you'll be hearing our discussion about the conception of Mongan, which was live streamed on YouTube. We live stream these conversations on YouTube on Sundays at 7pm Irish time to chat about the myth. And you can join in on future conversations if you'd like. We wouldn't be able to continue to make these podcasts without the support of our patrons, which we are very grateful for. So thank you. If you'd like to contribute, you can chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. Or share, subscribe, like, or you can leave a review if you like what we do. It all makes a difference. Now sit back and listen to this week's conversation. All right, welcome. Hello, Sarika. How are you getting on? Not too bad. How are you? I'm all right, enjoying the fine weather, this Indian summer that we're having. It's a gorgeous day down in Cork. Down in Cork, it's beautiful. Mm. So, welcome to the post-show chat of episode 47. This is episode 48 of the Candid Tales podcast, where we're going to be talking about the conception of Mangan. So, you did a great job of telling that story. So, if you haven't heard the that story... Right there. Because... Apparently, our playback is not working, and I don't know what to do about that. They are not receiving enough video to maintain a smooth streaming. I don't actually know if we're streaming or not. Um. Ah, oh dear, teething problems. So, yeah. Um, Can we check? I'm just texting Oshin to say we're live, but nothing is happening. So we might have to restart. Yeah, we'll restart. Um, I don't know if this is something to do with my Wi-Fi. It, I have full bars. It shouldn't be. Um, but everything on my computer has now decided to stall. No, we're live, right? Okay. I don't actually know if we're streaming or not. Okay, well, <laughs> you muted now. Um, yeah, I just I wanted to check that. All right. Um, okay, cool. Well, I I can't see you, so I we're, I'm just going to rely on the live chat to tell us if you guys can see and hear us because the, the the feedback that I'm getting from YouTube is that we're not live and nothing is happening. So sorry for interrupting you there, Aaron. Please go on. You were talking about the story. All right. So we have a few teething problems. Apologies. Last week, my audio was a bit glitchy. Apologies. I've moved into a better room uh, for Wi-Fi connectivity. Uh, and we're figuring this out. We're really enjoying the uh, comments and posts and people are getting in touch with us with these stories. So that's really good and encouraging. Thank you all for getting in touch. Uh, we are talking about the conception of Mangan, which is last week's episode. Thank you, Sarka, for telling us that story. It was amazing. Uh, should we recap that story really briefly? Like, you know, in a Games of Thronesian type of way? Ding, ding, ding. Last week on... I guess. I mean, people, you could, yeah, if you haven't listened to it, because I think it came out on what, Friday? 
so it came out on Friday. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, it is it is a story. I'll do it. I'll do it. Super quick. Two kings sharing kingship in Ulster. Mental. What were they doing? One king goes to Norway and he meets his friend, good pals. He was really sick. Had to go get a cow off a, off a Kalyuk dove. And then he promised to give her back loads more cows, probably, maybe, if the king of Norway was sound. I don't know if he was or not. Anyway, he stands guard over the promise. He goes back to Ireland. Turns out the king of Norway was not going to be okay with it. He didn't, he didn't pay her back. He didn't honour his... Uh, word and the Kalyukto was out of cows, no more cows. He got better because of the Kalyukto's cow and he didn't pay her anything. Nasty old king in Norway. And the Kalyukto came to Fiacre, one of them? Fiacrefin. Fiacrefin in Ulster asking him for retribution. They go to war to, you know, pay back for the, the belief in, in, in the honor and the duty and the word that he should have paid the Kalyukto. Uh, and, and then they, they get attacked by killer sheep. Killer sheep eat the entire army until Manon McLear shows up and says, I'll sort it out if you give me a chance to ride your wife. He releases a lot of hounds from his cloak. They eat the sheep and uh, he goes off and changes into Fakre Finn and in front of the wife, they, they copulate and she gives birth to a hairy baby called Mangan. Interesting use of the word copulate there. I don't know why that struck me, but that just really struck me. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. Clinical. <laughs> Our producer and, and musician and genius galore, he tried to uh, summarize this in, in a similar Aussie man style review, which kind of inspired that uh, brief synopsis. Of I, that see. Much I see. better in episode 47. But, there we go. So we're caught up. All right, we're, 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 we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah? on the same page. That story's mental. There's a few talking points. There's a few talking points. One of the main talking points is at the start, let's go back to the very start, Fikr Finn and Fikr Dove. Why are they sharing kingship? What's this shared kingship about? Is this like a weird thing to do with the land not being whole? Does it have any other kind of metaphors that we can reach at? Or is that too much that I'm reaching for here? Yeah, it's a kind of an interesting status quo to come in on because it does like there's a duality there. Uh, I always think it's interesting in, in myth and in fairy tale where you get these characters that almost seem to be mirrors of each other. You know, you get like the the ugly stepsisters in Cinderella and really they're kind of the one person, but they're they're fragmented, they're split in some way. And I think in this case, there might be something like that going on because they're both Fiacra. There's Fiacra Finn and Fiacra Dove, which just means fair-haired Fiacra and black-haired Fiacra. Um, yeah. Who knows, really? Because really the the only things that we know about them are in this story, what happens. Um, or at least I haven't found any other stories about like why the kingship is set up in this way. There's no real explanation given. That's just kind of like, this is how it is. Um, I think it's kind of, you know, it's an interesting little look at, I and I think the whole King series, we'll talk about this more. And I think we've talked about this in the past a little bit, like, the king's kingship in Ireland was different than kingship in the rest of Europe. Kind of kingship in medieval Ireland was was a a slightly different thing, um, in that you didn't have this idea of primogeniture that like the eldest son would inherit from the father. You you had a much more um, fluid kind of thing, 
where members of a certain strata of society could be elected king. And it wasn't democratic in that, like, you know, it wasn't open to everybody. Uh, it was certainly a very kind of status conscious society. Um, one of the things I like about, you know, these, this whole idea of the, of the ranks, all of which we've lost, by the way, uh, in, in modern times, um, and maybe, for, maybe, maybe that's good for some of it. Uh, you know, you had, you had seven degrees of kingship and you had seven degrees of lordship. And some of the lords might outrank some of the kings because, you know, they didn't quite, it wasn't like the, it wasn't like the lowest king was higher than the highest lord. It didn't work like that. You know, you had this whole really complicated system of clans and tours and tributes and who was loyal to whom and all of this kind of stuff. So I think the kind of messiness of Irish kingship is, is you know, hinted at here a little bit. And yeah, you have, you have for a period of time, two kings in Ulster, which proves to be unstable because it doesn't stay that way. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. You're like, ah, that could never happen with, with a, a governing body sharing leadership for a, a small part of the time. That would never happen. That's ridiculous. No, it's like having a rotating T-shirt or something. Like, what a, what a weird idea. <laughs> <laughs> but do, do, so, like, does that symbolize kind of a fractured state? Is Ulster in a kind of a limbo of not really having a full leader at the time, not having a, like it's never a divine leader as as a lot of the kings in Europe are claimed to be kind of chosen from God. We never get that uh, thing. It's never handed yeah, down. We do and we don't. Like it's kind of because the king is the king is kind of you know it's not it's not a it's not the same kind of divine right to rule. But there is a kind of an idea of the king being the paragon. Like you have to be physically perfect. There's this idea of mating with the land and there's this whole idea of like kings being perfect, you know, exemplars of justice and and um, having good judgment being really, really important for a king. So they are kind of, there is a kind of a, a an idea of a divine mandate. It's just, we didn't think that that got passed down <laughs> genetically necessarily. You know, there was a kind of a there was a kind of a thing here where it was like, all right, this person might be a good king and maybe his descendants will be good kings and we'll keep an eye on the line. But also his cousin might be a great successor because it's not a given that his kid is going to be great at this. Sure. So there's there's a little bit more. And also, like, it's not a given that the eldest son is going to be great at this, which is like, you know, you have that that comes up again in, in Nile of the Nine Hostages, which you're going to be telling in a couple of weeks. Um, which is another really nice one of like how the king gets to be the king. Um, and we have a few of them. <laughs> well, that's why we're doing the king series at the moment. It's really interesting looking at kingship. And like this one is fascinating at the get go because if we're looking at, like, even if we like delve into that idea of Faker Finn and Faker Dove, the, the white and the black, or the fair and the dark, that aspect of like the dark half of Finn or the dark Finn is is king in Ulster while sorry Fiagra um is you know and the the lighter Fiagra is off traveling and going I'll visit my friend they'll do something you know exuberant and lovely and it'll just be a lot of fun la 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 where it's not grounded he's he's up in he's kind of up in the head and that that sphere maybe like the the repercussions of his actions and all his story 
really plays out a big repercussion for a very flighty action. I'll go off and I'll get this in. And like that's, I think that's a huge theme in the Mongan stories, and we're telling them as two separate ones because I just I like them too much to cut them. Is the kind of the idea of the bargain without knowing of and of the the long term consequence of like a short term snap decision, but I think there's also something really interesting there about like Fiacre Fiacre Finn acting in his capacity as like a private person, and then subsequently the consequence comes back to him when he is acting as the head of of Ulster, and like it's not really a state in the sense of a modern nation state, so I don't know if that's kind of the right framework to look at it, but he, he's certainly like it's it's more of a tribal leader position so when he goes out and when he meets the king of norway he's he's just acting for himself he's just faker finn on his travels and he's he's kind of out of his context and then when the repercussions come back on him and the kyle of dove turns up at his doorstep saying you you were my guarantor and the bargain has been broken um so he he he's suddenly the leader of his tribe so it's not just him anymore it's everybody in ulster is affected by his by his actions and i think that's a really kind of like i said it's it's kind of a recurring one in this story so you like look out for it in in the the next podcast as well this idea yeah, i think it's fascinating the fact that he like okay so first of all i think it's a great idea uh, a year on year off like the, the burden of kingship is all of all of a sudden how and your man gets to go off on holiday every year. Delighted. Like, fantastic. <laughs> there, um, my immediate reaction to that was like, of course you think it's a good idea, <laughs> No one's giving out to him for having drinks in Kings Park. I mean, I'm um, going off to Norway and... Um, no, no one cares that he went to live in a van for a month. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't point your finger no. at me. With no one minds that he went off to South America for a month and turned into three months. Nobody minds at all. <laughs> okay, it's the yin and the yang. You're supposed to work hard when you work. No wonder, no wonder Fiacre Finn fucking kills him. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm down with this whole Fiacre Finn, Fiacre Dove thing. I just, I like it. I think it is possibly the fact that he's a twin. And I always said I could do with a twin. And I go off, have fun. He stays around here and does the work. That'd be great. That'd be I feel great. like if you had a twin. He would think the same way that you do, and neither of you would do anything. <laughs> I think we'd be a pretty good tag team. I'd say as my invisible fantasy brother that isn't actually real. Your invisible um, fantasy brother is, is, is worse than you. Um. <laughs> Let's get back to the story. Let's get back to the story. Um, so I do this. We'll get to the, the, the honor of... of being the, the guardian, being the, the protector of the Kylie Dove's, um, I guess, promise and, and making sure that she will get paid. But before we get there, all right, there's a couple of issues with calling her the Black Hat. Um, can you, no, and I, I mean, just as hearing it, and a couple of times, it was like, you know, my, my modern sensitivity going, and you call her, you know, and the Black Hat came up, he's what? And, um, you know, and Black Lives Matter came up and we all got very, you know, okay, very careful about the language we're using. And now all of a sudden we're, we're calling this Black Hag, um, you know, the one who starts a war. What? So... Why do you, you think Hag or Black is a bad thing to call someone, Eric? Because it's not about me, Erica. <laughs> you informing us 
tell us what you what what the definition of black in this the connotations that it has in this context remember as well the way that irish is structured so like fiacre finn the the word black or the word light or the word fair is usually applied to hair not skin so fiacre dove means black haired fiacre it, it directly translates to black fiacre and fair fiacre but it's referring to their hair color um in the in the case of a Kailiuk, a Kailiuk is a hag, and the, the, the Kailiuk is kind of a figure in Irish mythology, and she's often a very powerful figure. But it can also, Kailiuk can also kind of mean a little old lady. And in the case of a Kailiuk dove, it is, it, is a, it is an old woman who dresses all in black. It is an old woman who, uh, it's basically a widow woman. And particularly a widow woman who has no family. So she's a, she's a kind of a, it's a particular signifier of her status and her position in society and it being like not a particularly good position in society. Like she's not, she's not in complete poverty and destitution, but she nearly is. Like she's on a very, very thin knife edge in her survival because she's, you know, this is a, again you're kind of looking back in medieval ireland this is a very clan based society and so if you don't have a family you don't have a clan and you're on your own that's a that's a different position in society that you occupy and that's kind of why she's so wary of giving up her cow because she's that would make her very vulnerable um you know she doesn't have and and then you also kind of like consider the 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 way that law was enforced um you know the kind of tribal law that we have in Ireland that was subsequently kind of codified into Breton law it was up to your family to demand redress and it was dependent on your family you know what what fine you would get was dependent on your status and your family's status so the fact that she's like she's got a cow that's what she lives on. She lives on the milk of the cow and what she can trade. And here comes a guy saying, Giz your cow. She, her position is very vulnerable then. So she has to kind of go, okay, if you guarantee that this will not come, you know, that I will get what I'm promised. Sure, sure. but that's, that's I, I think that's taking a, a very, um, human view of the woman in this story which is like you know the obvious thing to do because quite literally she has one cow that's all she's about on and we'll talk about a cow in a minute and how that represents kind of fertility and abundance and, that, and it comes up again and again and again but there's always there's also another the, the reason the, the fact that she's called a Kali dove is is there's more to her presence here like there's a, like it's the far dove. It, it's like the black man in in Irish stories as well. It's like he he's he's not uh, like the, you know, the devil himself. He could be. He's gonna stir up some mischief here. The Kaliuk dove in this story. Yeah, Kaliuk dove. dove, as I understand it, does have a literal meaning, which is a, a, a widow woman, like a, a woman with no family, an old woman with no family. But you're right that there is a there is an additional connotation to calling like. To having the fire dove and the kalyuk dove, and particularly like kalyuk on its own, it means a different thing. 
Um, so there are there are kind of other connotations to this and like the idea of her being some sort of otherworldly trickster is not without um, merit, I think, because particularly because of the type of cow that she owns, because white cows with red ears are very strongly associated with the other world. Um, red, red cows in general, the number of places in Ireland that are called red cow. <laughs> like there's obviously a big roundabout outside Dublin that's the red cow roundabout, but there are so many places and little towns and little inns that are called the red cow because red cows, red cows tend to give a little bit more milk and were just extremely highly prized um, and, and considered to be very lucky and very good. And they're also, I think, considered to be kind of sweet tempered. So they have a sort of a place in both our history and our folklore that's just really special. And I think that the kind of pinnacle of the red cow is actually the white cow with the red ears. Um, and they're they're almost magical. Uh, like Bridget, Bridge is supposed to have been suckled by a white cow with red ears. Um, and they're they're just kind of this like paragon of cowness. They're the best cow. They're the they're the best kind of cow. Yeah, the greatest cow of all the time. Keen's cow. What was his name again? Uh, Keen's cow, the Glasgowan. Glasgowan. Yeah, again, white cow, red ears. Yeah. Don't know the red ears make you have more milk, but there you go. Um, but it is. It's like it's there's a magical element, and you already realise, like if in this story she was called an old widow woman, and she had a, a kind of magic cow. You kind of go, oh, the poor widow woman. As soon as she's named the Kylie Dove, you're like, oh. <laughs> Your spidey senses go, ooh, Kylie. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of interesting that she doesn't accept the first bargain. She yeah. says, no, I'm not going to take a cow for a cow. Mm, yeah, okay, I'll take uh, a cow for every four. Only though. And again, does she see that this is not going to be on her? Does she know that the king of Norway, like, is it a way of going, I've got something here now, and, and you have to to your work like it's very it's very kind of characteristic of figures from the other world that like you if you break a bargain if you break a deal if you go back on your word that the consequences are are enormous so she's kind of like you know she's right she drives a hard bargain certainly and again from a human perspective if you read her as just an old widow woman she's just being canny and she's just like looking out for herself but if you do read her as somebody otherworldly, it's like, okay, you, if, you, if, if the bargain were honoured, there would be no problem. Um, but the fact that the bargain isn't honoured, she then, and does she know? I don't know. Does she know that Fiacre Finn is a part-time king? Does she know that when she goes to have this enforced, she will be instigating a war? It's not explained. Um, it's, it's open to interpretation as to how much of this is kind of like otherworldly manipulation and how much of it is like, you should just, you should just keep your promises even to people that you don't think are important. Yeah, it, well, I, I also think like that to me is an interesting part of this is like, yeah. if you read her as, as purely human, then she's the lowest of the low. She's the lowest position in society. She's a woman alone who has nothing and nobody to stand up for her. And therefore, if you're a powerful person, you might think, it doesn't matter if I don't treat her well. And the consequences for the King of Norway for deciding to not treat her well and deciding to not honor his bargain are, are devastating. So that's, I think, also, a, a, you know, that's, that's also an interesting little bit of it. 
Well, well it, it, it brings back to the fact that, you know, the highest of the high, no matter, like, if, if, you, if your word is your bond, you have to do what you, what you set out and you said you would do, even if it's just for the loss of the law and she's presenting herself as the loss of the law in a way that seems to me like, mm, the King of Norway might screw me over, but you have to be the guarantor. And how how she gets to Ireland to to ask him when he's actually in kingship is beyond me. She has literally no other means. Of I mean, she matters. she cries on a dock until someone gives her a lift. You know, <laughs> so it's, it's, being completely it's, pathetic is a kind of currency. It's not a good one. It's not a comfortable one, but it is one. You know, she 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 gets herself there um, through grit. Yeah. <laughs> so again, she survives somehow. Because the king of Norway, he's sick. He needs a magical broth made from a cow with red ears, a white cow with red ears. Mm -hmm. He gets better. And instantly, even though Fiacra Finn specifically says, now remember your promise, do not break that before he leaves. He makes sure he's oath-bound to accept it and, and, and leaves. And then the king of Norway rejects it. Is that, again, the story is just a, a nice little opener of... of how mistrustful people in a country can be of their leaders, how we don't take their word on many things, and how oftentimes a person in power can say one thing and never, ever follow through with it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of seems to be what, what Fiacre does. And it's like, it's not on, like, King of Norway. What, what the fuck you act like? There is somebody in the chat saying that uh, he might have been the ancestor of a certain political leader in Europe at the moment, soon to be not in Europe. Um, but that's a little spicy and political, so we'll leave it. Look, we, we, we like to just, uh, you know, show mirrors with mythology. Listen, if you see, if you see some real-world reflections of this, you are probably right. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I think it's it's a she gets herself there. Um, and I do think that the idea of like oath breaking and you can definitely see resonances to that in kind of modern politics. The idea of once once a powerful person has gotten what they want, there is very little to actually force them to follow the rules because they can get away with not doing it. Mm. And that's kind of, you know, we don't we don't get the King of Norway's perspective in this. So we don't know why did he forget? Did he decide, fuck her, I'm not paying her? Or did he like... Did Fiacre Finn just make this deal when he actually had no mandate to make this deal? And the King of Norway was like, well, I didn't promise you four cows. The King of Ulster promised you four cows. Go get them from him. You know, we don't see the, the decision-making behind the scenes there. So it's, it's, it's kind of... But yeah, she makes her way to um, but sure, but before, Ulster. Before you want, I mean, like, we very rarely have a moralistic link with 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 Irish myths. It's very rare, and this is just it flag as it flags as one of like, oh, this is one you can probably hinge a hook on on a moral kind of you know. As a listener, you hear you do. Oh. Just the morals are real weird sometimes. This one's a straightforward one. Like, why does this one seem to be? This one is a one that we still agree with. A lot of them are lessons that we as a culture are like, eh, not anymore. Not, not <laughs> such a good look these days, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's plenty of like, you know, if somebody gives you their back long enough, stick a knife in it. Um, kind of morals in Irish mythology, but like, we just don't, 
think that those are great anymore. This one is a good moral. This one is like, if you say you're going to do something, like, if you like that sort of thing. You know, if you like that sort of thing, I like it. I like. I so mean, a lot of, I would say actually quite a lot of the King stories particular hinge on this idea of keeping promises. Yeah. Uh, like we saw it, we've, we've already got a podcast out, I think, that on Cormac McGarrett, who's one of the other great kind of semi-historical kings. And again, he makes a promise without, he, he makes a, a, a promise without knowing the cost, the bargain without knowing. And, and the whole story of Cormac McGarrett and the Land of Promise hinges on the fact that like, once he's given his word, he cannot as king break it. Um, so he has to follow through on this dreadful bargain that he's made. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of another one of those, you know, there's a, there's a deal made. So there's a lot that are like about keeping your word. And I think a lot that kind of indirectly are like, be careful what you promise. Because once you've given your promise, you have to keep it. And again, more on that in the next podcast, because the next story, you will see more white cows with red ears and more bargains without knowing and lots more stuff. Some stuff to unpack in this one. Plenty to unpack next week. Plenty to unpack next week. But before we get there, what's the story with the killer sheep? I think that is one of my favourite bits in Irish mythology. It's so left field, like. It's so left field. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> Nobody saw that coming. And I, I, love, I love the reaction of the Ulster Warriors. It's not like, oh my God, there's killer sheep. It's like, this is, this is embarrassing. I can't die of sheep. Oh, my dinner is eating me. Um, like, this, like, is this, is, this, is, this is so embarrassing that I'm not fighting it. Like Fiacrofin, there's there's a source that I found for this that I'll post on Patreon actually because it was a nice it's a nice version of the story. Um, there's a there's a whole like sequence in it where Fiacrofin goes out killing you know warriors of Norway and then he sees the sheep and he's like, this 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 just feels wrong, <laughs> just feels so wrong, <laughs> and all the Ulster men are like, can't like. There's no glory to be had here. We can't. Like, not. Like, I, I, I was staring. I, I had a big long look. I had a little bit chat with a sheep yesterday. Uh, I was up the and I was looking at two sheep. And the weirdest thing happened, right? I was looking at these two sheep and I said to my buddy, he was like, God, really, there's not a lot going on in there, is there? You know, their eyes kind of, their eyes are tiny and they point kind of other ways. And as I was, kind of t- I was telling him a little bit about this, like, imagine if they had razor sharp sheep teeth. And, and like some way of killing you. Like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be overly scared of them still. Like, you know, they, they're, they're pretty small. They're really bony legs and kind of a little bit of a neck. And then as I said that, right, he turned around to his other sheep and the two of them, as if to say hello, just went and bought it, like head butted each other. And then they just stood next to each other, like kind of like half sniff each other. I was like, that, did that just happen? What? So sheep are weird, um, and killer sheep. Like reg- weird. yeah, regular sheep are already pretty weird. Weird, very weird. They're just bizarre looking. And so like killer sheep. They're cute from a distance. They're very cute from a distance. The closer you get to them, the less appealing they become. I, I They're find. really not appealing when you get close. <laughs> Not, they look like adorable cuddly clouds when they're real far away. <laughs> far away, but then they have like this weird look of them. 
Yeah, they've got those weird like wall eyes and they've got like the straggly matted wall. I don't know. If you get too close to them, so like if something's like trying to bite at you and you're supposed to kill it, you're like, ugh, get off me. You, this, is, this is awful. And for warriors of the Ulster cycle, and we've heard so much stories of how they want glory and death and they want their names written in the stars for all eternity. They don't want their names written in the stars. They didn't have writing. I mean, you know, say it in the stars. <laughs> no. Revealed in the stars? A quote from Disney's Hercules. <laughs> you keep quoting Walt Disney's Hercules. It's I don't like it. <laughs> I saw it when I was a kid, all right? It, just, it, know, it clearly <laughs> imprinted somewhere deep in your psyche because I've been trying to get you to stop saying it for years now. <laughs> right? Uh, we all look at the stars. It's very, it's very, it must be a thing that they were thinking of. I think yeah, they were it, was, thinking it was a good line by the writers of Walt Disney's Hercules. All right, <laughs> tell me about fucking manning on you. Fuck me I'll stop taking the piss out of you when you stop saying it. Um, yeah, so manning on. Manning on. Manning on's an interesting fella. Um, because he's one of the figures that is not actually to it on. Um although he's often associated with the two of the Danon and he often kind of comes up in similar cycles to them, but he, he apparently predates the two of the Danon. He was around before them and he's one of the few characters in Irish mythology that turns up in kind of all of the cycles. Because he turns up in the Ulster cycle. He, um, his wife and Cúcullin have an affair and he turns up to shake his cloak between them and he is, in some tellings, the one who uh, allows the two Adidane, like to come into the other world and kind of creates the other world because he has a magic cloak and if he shakes it between two people, they will never meet again. So there's one version of the, the Battle of Talchu is that Mananon shakes his cloak between the Sons of Mill and the two Adidane so that they can never meet again. And that's kind of what essentially partitions the world, um, which is cool, right? Um, so he's this, he's this interesting kind of figure, um, but he particularly crops up, like he crops up in the Cormac McGarth story and he kind of particularly crops up around kings yeah. and kingship. There's another story that we once wrote a play about, uh, before we started doing Candle of Tales, which is the Voyage of Bran, where Bran and his, uh, men are sailing out. Uh, on a voyage of discovery and they meet Mananon riding in his chariot across the waves. And he's actually on his way to go and meet with the Queen of Ulster. Oh my God, Ireland. yeah. That's what he oh says to Bran. He's like, I am on my way to go and conceive a king in Ireland. Um, Father a king, yeah. That's hilarious. And that, that is the same Bran McFowl, by the way, who's in the Battle of Ventry who is the father of, of Con Crither and who gets the two of the Danon to come in and help. Oh, the little, little interlinks, there's little cool little interlinks with, with, um, with Manon McLear. So, yeah. yeah. Manon, like, you know, the, the fact that even the two of the Danon kind of showed up for the, for the Fianna in that cycle, in that story, the Battle of Entry, there's no chance Manon is on the side of the guys uh, in, in that battle. 
who are fighting with Bo Darig, and many of them are named, but there's like there's no sign of Manon being there. He's yeah. not named because he, but he's not he's not technically one of them. And again, at the end of that story, he's given the crown of the King of the World to to hold. Um, so like he's a he's an interesting kind of liminal figure. He's not quite part of anything, but he's also one of the most involved of the kind of gods. I don't like calling them the gods, but we don't we don't have we don't have a better word. Um but he's one of the more kind of involved, you know, otherworldly figures in the affairs of Ireland and yeah. particularly in, in the affairs of kings. Yeah. He shows up to do having to do with kings more than he shows up having to do with anything else. And it's often in a kind of a trickster mentor kind of a way. Like if you think of the Cormac McGart story, he tricks him into making a bargain. He kidnaps his family. In order to teach him great lessons and wisdom of the other world. And he seems to be doing this the same. His whole deal here is like, let me father a king. So therefore I can go and bring him into the other world and teach him. Is he just like sick of looking at everyone fucking around and making a mess of things and going, all right, all right, you know what? Let me just teach one of you and maybe you guys will get it. Who knows? I mean, this is the interesting thing about a character like Mananon. He's not like, there is no clear, there's nobody's ever kind of sat down and given, gotten his like motivations out of him. You know, I mean, he's, is, is, maybe this is a big experiment for him. Maybe this is something that he likes doing. Maybe this is entertainment. We don't know. Yeah. Um, what his agenda is, except that he has an interest in kings, he has an interest in kingship, he has an interest in like wisdom and magic and teaching people how to do stuff. Um, but he's also quite hands off. Like he doesn't, he doesn't often tell people what to do. The closest he comes is actually in in next week's story, when he turns up to kind of. A character in the direction. So, but he's also the king of the sea. How do you spoil a 3,000-year-old story? Would you feck off? <laughs> okay, well, before we get on to the next week, I just want to say, like, he, he has a great interest in kings, and he does crop up in, the, in this king cycle. We're really enjoying delving into these king stories again and again and again. And one of the names of Man on the Clear is the king of the sea, the god of the ocean. So it's kind of interesting that he has that authority to come in and, and interplay and have some form of leadership that's, I don't know, I, I've been swimming a lot this summer and I just like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Just get into the sea all the time and you're just grand. So like, you know, everything is just grand if you go for a swim. So that's the moral of the story. No, anyway. <laughs> Look, happy birthday to Jasper. We wanted to shout out to Jasper. Remember that? Wow, Jasper's in the chat. Hello, Jasper. Hey, Jasper, come here. Happy birthday. Thanks for following us and supporting happy us so well. Birthday. You're doing great. I want to give a big shout out to Patrick, who uh, reached out to us today as well with a beautiful message. He's been a supporter on the Patreon page for a while. Thank you, Patrick. But also, he said he was uh, on Hair Island trying out a few of our stories and uh, trying to tell a few of the stories. And he says he needs a bit of work, but keep it up, Patrick, I believe in you. Um, I think you're doing a great job. Because uh, that's the whole point of these stories, is listen to them, shy talk away with someone else, and you know, try and, try and you know, just get these stories back into circulation. Because some of these stories were written down, and they became you know, 
back into the circulation to some some degree. And it's interesting to hear stories of folk tales that were written down, same way made up even, and fake fiction that became then the, the tradition of storytellers as well. So telling stories is all is, is, is part of us anyway. So it's just yeah. a great thing to be doing. And it's um, always nice to see what other kind of angles on things other people come up with. Because I think when you tell the stories, you start to see your own kind of little bits of things. Um, I, you know, things that you'd highlight or things that you're interested in that maybe the story that the telling that you heard first doesn't delve into as much. So that's also kind of part of part of why it's nice to get them circulating again is that you get more versions of them coming back to your own ears. Absolutely. And we have one, one more question from Kiran who asked, um, we, well, we've mentioned archetypes uh, in, in mythologies. And uh, he asked a very interesting question is that are are all of these stories, do they all have archetypes? He doesn't quite fully understand uh, what an archetype is in terms of uh, are they reflective of what's in us or is it more what's kind of in uh, a theory of psychology? So does that feel like to you? Thanks. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the the idea of an archetype is something that comes from, you know, Jungian psychology and it is kind of somewhat supported by some studies in mythology and comparative mythology because what tends to happen is that you tend to get similar characters and similar plot lines coming up all over different human societies so the idea behind the kind of theory of archetypes is that these are not stories that we passed around these are stories that kind of grew up organically in different cultures and therefore why are they so alike? Um, and that's why the, the, the idea of an archetype is that it, this is something in our kind of collective subconscious, that this is something innately human in us that we give expression to in stories in slightly different forms. So that's kind of my understanding of what the term archetype is. Um, I'm sure other people have better definitions, but like that's, that's kind of, it's, it's, um, it is it is kind of a theory but it's it's uh i think it's a theory that in my experience holds a good bit of water because if you start looking at mythologies around the world you will be like oh that guy's very like the dagda and ah that's a very lou type of character or oh look they have a trickster guide how mananon you know you kind of start to see similar tropes and characters coming up over and over and over again and yeah, that's that's kind although, of. Although not, although he's a trickster, like he he's also a, he seems to be a, a big teacher as well. Yeah, he's a, he's a guide trickster. He's a mentor trickster. But he's he's kind of his 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 teaching methodology is very trick based. <laughs> you know what? Someone, uh, Richard Marsh, once wrote a review of one of our sh shows saying. Uh, I think these guys are doing a great job because they're tricking people into learning, uh, which I thought was like, yeah, sound. I like that. How you learn. That's why we start all our live shows with jokes and then end <laughs> them with making everybody cry. Or just, you know, with music and then get people to feel good, whatever. Okay, look. Get them to feel good so you can punch them in the heart. Yeah, you're so psychotic sometimes. Um, Anyway, look, we're going to be putting out a call to action next week. Uh, I've been in touch with a few different podcasts, uh, which will be coming up. I will be chatting with Unreal. We'll be chatting with uh, Shite Talk History Podcast as well. They're two different podcasts that 
delve into similar stuff on Rilo's folk tales and Ruth is her name, her second name she's doing folk tales and, and, and mythology. We're going to be linking up with them in the next coming months um, and talking about kings and folk tales with them. And look, we're looking for, as Patrick asked us, uh, for a bit of, uh, he asked us, do we have a podcast um, promo that he could send on to Reddit pages? Uh, because he wants to introduce us to all of the people he wants to talk to. That's really cool, Patrick. Thank you. We would love your suggestions. If you listen to podcasts that we don't know about, that you think we would get on with, and we would love if you dropped us a message about them and dropped them a message about us. That's a good way of us to interact. So we'll be putting who, a call to Who actually. would you like to see us collaborate with? That's what. Yeah. Who would you like to see us collaborate with? Tell us and also tell them. Especially if they're bigger than us because they'll, you know, they won't know who we are. <laughs> also, if they're, if they're not. Um, who, who do you think would be interesting or, or who would you be interested in seeing us collaborate with? Uh, that would be great uh, to hear from you guys and to, to get the ball rolling on some more collaborations because we're looking forward to the ones that we have already drummed up. Um, yeah. Um, so next week we're here with the kingship among in. Stay tuned; it'll be great. Uh, it's a mental story. Also, yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about Dovlaka next week because she's like by a mile and a half the best character in this entire sequence of stories. The best character. So look out for more bargains without knowing, more white cows with red ears. Um, the best character. The best character. <laughs> And also, you know, King Mongan. He's also there, I guess. Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah. More Kayaks. More Kayaks. More there are more Kayaks. There are more Kayaks, not just in the Mongan story, but also in, like, all of the King stories. Oh, right. The Kayak in the Loyal story. She's only in the There's a Kayak in Connor Amore. There's so many Kayaks in the King stories. They are, like... They seem to be an integral part. It's great. All right, guys. Thank you very much for tuning in, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Hope you're keeping healthy, safe, and sound. Slong of all. Bye. This podcast was produced and edited by Oshin Ryan. You can find out more about us on our website, candlelittales.ie. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Candlelit Tales. And for videos and live streams, like and subscribe to our Candlelit Tales YouTube channel, which now has a Candlelit Tales playlist for kids, Candlelit Tales. Liking and subscribing to our channels really helps us grow and get to more people. And if you're able to give us more direct support, you can ship in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales or make a one-time donation through the PayPal button on our website. We would really like to hear back from you with any questions you may have. So please drop us a line or leave your question in the comment section below. Because what we really want to do is get these stories out there, share them with as many people as possible. And so anything you can do to help, we really appreciate. And we especially appreciate you listening. <laughs>